Hey, sweet friends. Welcome back to another episode of Still Positive. My name is Dana Marie, and I am your host, as always. Today, I am talking to Tori. Tori has the unfortunate chronic illness of having chronic yeast infections. I didn't know that that was ever a thing, and I am so sorry to hear that it is. So listen in to how Tori lives her life with chronic yeast infections. Let's be real. People love to gloss over chronic conditions or disabilities with a fleeting comment like, just be positive, or a fleeting insult like, kale will cure you. This is a podcast for when you face a different reality, knowing that positivity isn't a magic wand that's going to cure everything, but a flashlight in the dark that we may or may not have batteries to. Living with a chronic illness or disability makes you feel different, and your difference could be noticeable to others or not, but either can sometimes make you feel invisible. I'm here to tell you that your experience is valid and shared by others in the dark. Positivity is not the missing puzzle piece that's going to solve your life's puzzle, but it can be a beautiful tool that can help you grow, and sharing those experiences can make us grow together. Yeah. So I just have to say, like, first of all, I'm so sorry that this is the chronic condition that you found yourself in. I mean, I've heard of a lot of chronic conditions, but this I feel like hits home for me the most because I think as being a woman, I've had yeast infections and they are the most frustrating thing that I feel like just stick around for so long. And to hear that they can become a chronic condition is something that is pretty much my worst nightmare. So. Exactly. I know it's like in one way, there's some comfort in it that three out of four people with vaginas will have a yeast infection at some point in their life. So I guess when I talk about it, people can relate either for themselves or their partners or a loved one that's had it. But yeah, it's for five to 10% of people with vaginas will have chronic yeast infections um, or recurrence. So either coming back on, you know, uh, every two weeks, every month, or in my case, just a constant discomfort. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. In addition to living with it, I also am doing a PhD in them. So have a lot of knowledge uh, about my own condition that really was launched by the fact that no one, no one's talking about it, um, even though it's so, so, so common. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think that, you know, having it so often is really just something that you have to really be aware of, like what is going on that it's making me continually have it. And do you find that it's like, you say it's constant. So there's no like break in between the symptoms that you've had and have. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of the things that's so frustrating is going to physicians and being really belittled of, you know, well, are you douching? Of course not. I even have been asked, you know, are you wiping front to back? And it's like, do you think I don't know my body? I've been told, you know, okay, stop taking showers, stop taking baths, just refrain from sex, try erotic massage instead, maybe take some time off school. You should wear only white underwear. And just the most like, to me, shocking array of advice that I've received, not from one, you know, wacky physician, but over and over again, that when I am there talking about that there's this condition that is recurrent that I'm doing everything I can with my body with my health to take care of myself and there aren't answers there's not adequate tests being done and just being really dismissed one of my uh physicians that actually is why I started medical her story with this one line said some people get colds some people get chronic yeast infections 
And it was at that point, seeing how the medical community really viewed this condition I was living with, that this was no more than a cold, that this was no more disruptive, no more unsettling, no more deeply disturbing to your core than a simple cold is really when I sort of reached a breaking point. I stopped seeking medical care for years. I really had a lot of trauma, honestly, of invasive exams, of test kits being lost. And I tell this on my uh, story on Medical Her Story, but also finally getting a referral to an infectious disease specialist. So after seeing, you know, GPs, nurses, gynecologists, and really exhausting those resources, I thought, you know, okay, I've done enough research. Like I would like to see an infectious disease specialist. Like there's something wrong with my microbiome. I would like to get this sorted. I finally got the referral. I felt so proud of myself for, you know, advocating, for asking, for trying. And I Googled this doctor's name and I came across pages and pages of sexual assault allegations. And I'd been referred by two separate female physicians to this person. And that was just the point where I realized that there is so much in the medical system that was broken. And as a patient, I had just been so failed. I had been failed in terms of the lack of treatment and research at large, but also in those clinical encounters of being dismissal. And then also these deeply rooted injustices within healthcare. Um, and it was only once I started telling my story that I learned that this wasn't isolated, but when I was going through it, it really just felt like why me and why all these different things happening at once when I just wanted a cure and I just wanted to feel normal. Exactly. And did you end up going to another physician after looking up this doctor and seeing that they had sexual assault uh, yeah, on their profile? So, yeah. At that point, I stopped seeing, um, healthcare providers for maybe two years. Um, I ended up going to school abroad in the UK and there, you know, sort of worked up the courage to start trying to advocate for myself more and would bring it up. You know, I'd go to the doctor about, um, I had, you know, a cold or I had something I would mention, you know, by the way, I also have chronic yeast infections, you know, testing the waters as a lot of patients do and just being told, oh, bless you. Oh, that I'm so sorry. And it was sort of like, okay, like this isn't, this isn't the space, you know, and then trying to really self-advocate. So this past year, you know, trying to get different referrals, um, trying to really seek out care and doing a lot of unfortunate self-treatment because there's just not safe spaces to get a lot of this information, um, which we found. And that even when you do advocate, um, finding a good physician that one believes you, but then two, we know that there's this double bind in women's health that chronic yeast infections are also seen as very clinically insignificant. They're not seen as something that gets, you know, research funding that gets a lot of press coverage. It's not a hot topic. Um, so there's also that, that even if a, a physician really does want to help you, um, their hands are often tied with just simply a lack of answers or um, resources as well. Wow. Oh my gosh. So what are some of the things you do for self-care at that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, I started a whole not-for-profit to talk about this issue. Um, I had been living with this really in silence. There was so much, I think, you know, medical sexism, shame, and stigma, and so much gaslighting I was facing being told that I was pretty much being dramatic, that this wasn't a big deal, that, um, you know, there was a way, the people out there with basically way worse conditions, and that I was just being an emotional little girl, and I was finding that really difficult. So, I worked at um, McGill University in a few sexual violence support spaces and women's health spaces and started slowly testing the waters as I had done with physicians about um, what was going on. And the more I opened up to people about, you know, 
sort of offhand comments of, oh yeah, I, I got a referral, but you know, there were so many sexual assault allegations, no way I was going there, that people paused and said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And we're curious and empathetic and want to learn more. And the more and more I shared bits and pieces and was able to build those relationships, I kept being told this sounds like fiction, you should write it. Um, and so I did. I wrote my story from top to bottom. It was a really difficult process, but really healing and being able to trace, you know, why do I have so much anxiety around going to the doctors? Why am I avoiding it? And being able to look at, you know, two years of seeking out treatment and everything that had happened to me and sort of it clicking why, why I was feeling why the way I was. Um, and then I decided that this story deserved to be told. And I actually got to work with one of our school newspapers and publish it. And it went on to make the front page, which was unexpected and very scary at the time, but really awesome. And I was fearful that, you know, people would be like, ooh, gross, why are you talking about this? But I heard the complete opposite. So many people, one that had this condition and were in my class for years and I had no idea that were also struggling with this. Other people from all different genders who had really similar experiences of medical dismissal. And then eerily similar cases from people actually all around the world living with this condition who had really similar um, encounters of medical belittlement and dismissal. So um, the writing was really a part of my self-care and then building that community, which today uh, has grown into Medical Her Story, which is all rooted in storytelling. We've helped dozens of people share their stories, but that was really something I did for myself um, that was empowering, but still, you know, there's definitely hard days. It's definitely, I think, so powerful to be able to, you know, go on podcasts, go on media, talk to really um, influential people about this issue. But at the end of the day, I'm still sick. I'm still living with this. I'm still not getting the care I deserve. Um, so self-care is still, you know, I'd say an ongoing process uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, because you're not getting the care that you need, that's all you can do at this point for yourself. And I think that it's a horrible situation that I feel like I've heard even from doing the short amount of podcasts that I have been doing, it's something that I've heard repeatedly, especially coming from women and people that I identify as women. It's just across the board, almost every single person that I talk to is in the same boat of first they didn't believe me and then I had to advocate for myself. And it's so scary to think that a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that. So they might just push it off and say, maybe I am hysterical or maybe it is just all in my head which is terrible because people are really going through all of these symptoms and things that they're feeling. And the fact that they're going to someone to ask about it and then being shut down by that person that is supposed to be helping you and being there to guide you through this experience is just terrible. Mm -hmm. yeah, I read a study the other day that the average discussion around sexual health within a clinical setting is 36 seconds. Oh my gosh. Between provider and patients. So if we're giving people 36 seconds when they've worked up the courage, when they've overcome the internalized shame and stigma to actually voice what's going on in their body to maybe, you know, in a lot of gynecological exams, literally bear themselves to these people, be vulnerable, and then just face the mistreatment. I think that's what's really um, scary about it and really a reality for so many people. And that patient advocacy is so important, but 
it takes so much work. And, you know, why is it that we're never taught how to go to the doctors? We're never taught how to advocate for ourselves. And we're never explained why we aren't being believed. And then what do patients do? You're going to internalize it. You're going to think, maybe I am overreacting. You know, maybe this isn't something I'm supposed to be talking about. Maybe this wasn't worth my doctor's time. Mm -hmm. And then that can have so many dangerous consequences, especially when it comes to vaginal health. If you aren't being given proper, adequate medical care and you're turning to the media, you know, there's a billion dollar industry around feminine hygiene about being clean. And it's right. It's this bizarre cycle of these products are going to trigger imbalances in the vaginal microbiome. They might lead to infections. Mm -hmm. And these are the same companies who are going to be selling you their products to cure these infections that their products are causing. So if you're left to your own devices and you're self-treating, this is so, so dangerous. And we know that once the vaginal biome is disrupted, not only is this, you know, very upsetting for your mental health, but long-term, it's going to have really dangerous consequences, uh, especially in terms of pregnancy, in terms of long-term sexual health. Um, that I think it's ridiculous that doctors just brush it aside, that we know this is the number one complaint. Vaginal discomfort is the number one complaint for women. And it's still being brushed aside, which I think is horrible. And luckily, Medical Her Story, we've designed, you know, I create it really as what I would have wanted uh, when I started my healthcare journey. So actually this morning I was giving a workshop for the International Federation of Medical Students about gender bias in medicine and how to eliminate it, how to be an empathetic provider, how to integrate storytelling into your practice and also just create spaces of empowerment. We also have workshops on how to self-advocate within medicine, acknowledging that there's no rule book on how to do this. So we wrote one based on my own experience and other patients' experiences. And then we also have writing workshops about how to reclaim your narrative, acknowledging that, you know, as our name suggests, medical her story, the traditional medical history is really depersonalizing. It's really unnerving. It can be a really uh, intimidating and daunting process to bear your soul and watch it get really sterilized. So we teach people how to reclaim it, how to talk openly, how to break down that shame and stigma that can keep you suffering in silence, um, which I'm so grateful to have put together um, and be able to actually be doing something about with my amazing team um, because we know that this isn't an isolated incident and unfortunately we hear cases every day. And why do you think it is that doctors and physicians only have that 36 seconds? Men doctors and women doctors both don't mm -hmm. take the time and they sort of overlook this constant reality that so many people have and so many women have. And why do you think it is that they just overlook this and don't look further into it for their patients? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think you raised a great point that we know that gender bias in medicine persists regardless of the gender of the physician. You know, adding more women into positions of power in medicine is, of course, a worthy cause, but unfortunately, sexism is so pervasive. And I think that's why Medical Her Story's mission statement is about eliminating sexism, shame, and stigma from health experiences, because I believe those are at the root of why that conversation is 36 seconds. We know mm -hmm. that gender bias persists on so many different levels. For instance, on a societal level, norms that it is unladylike or inappropriate to be discussing sexual health make it so that patients feel uncomfortable. Um, on a medical education level, we know that these topics are not being discussed in medical schools. Uh, we've given the Medical Her Story workshop on gender bias at the University of Cambridge, at the University of Ottawa and Karolinska. We brought it to Glasgow. It's been around the world. And what we hear constantly is that I've never heard of chronic yeast infections. We spent one slide on endometriosis. 
Trans healthcare didn't hear anything about it. So if we're not even educating medical providers when they are willing to learn when they're there, it becomes much harder to have these conversations down the line. If you're not teaching them about sex ed, how are they supposed to provide it to their patients? And I think it's that's one of the major issues we've been seeing. And then also on larger levels where um, societal uh, stigma is there, you know, everyone has different upbringings and different messages that if you're not being given po sex positive messages, you're not going to develop them on your own. So I think that's why those are some of the reasons why that encounter is probably so short um, is discomfort on both sides, um, even within a space that's supposed to be very, you know, private and empowering. If both parties don't know how to talk about it, you're not going to get proper care. And that's why uh, in my own work, really focusing on the collaborative care model where you're empowering both people in the clinical encounter, that's how you're going to get the best outcomes every time. Absolutely. And I love that you go into universities and you bring medical her story there and you tell them about other people's experience that are going through this because that reality of people's real stories is something that could be really eye-opening to the right doctors. So I think that that's really amazing. How did you go about getting into these different universities and getting your medical her stories told? Mm -hmm, definitely. So yeah, storytelling has been at the heart of everything that we do. And it's really where Medical Her Story started and we never, well, I never planned for it to become as large as it has. So what we found was that um, as we started growing Medical Her Story, more and more people started asking if they could get involved, if they could help, that they had stories to share. So we started growing our team and now we have a, about 115 individuals across 24 universities in seven countries. So we've been able to really expand it and build those sort of connections with local communities and get the uh, workshops to those medical schools that way. And it's actually been really well received. There is such a need for it. Medical students want to learn, they want to do better. They want to have the tools and equipment, um, you know, I think often we have this false divide between, you know, providers and patients. Many providers are patients themselves. They, they know these issues exist. And still, you can see on our website, we have stories from providers who struggle to get care and they know the system. They know the language. They understand it. They're insiders and they're still having those difficulties. So definitely medical her story is spread through lived experience. It's spread through storytelling and this real desire for change. That's such a great point that doctors themselves have to be patients. I mean, there's no way that just because you're a doctor, you're going to be hundred percent healthy, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. you're going through and being a patient yourself. And even though, you know, maybe the ins and outs of what you might need, you still have to get a doctor to prescribe to another doctor what they need for their uh, healthcare. So mm -hmm. that's a great point. I love that medical her story touches on gender bias and not only talks about gender bias, but gender equity within healthcare. Mm -hmm. That is such a major point to bring up because equality isn't the same for us as it is for men, clearly, because I feel that a lot of men don't come up with these different uh, experiences that women have in healthcare. So how do you find that medical her story is bringing light to gender equity? Definitely. Like you said, the system's actually built for men. It's not built for women. It's not built for racialized people. It's not built for disabled people. It's based around the model of the white, able-bodied, 70-kilo man. That's who 
medication diag um, medication prescription ratios are based on. It's who is the ideal subject within a clinical encounter. It's who is expected to be seeking out care and who it's, these systems are meant to be serving. So we know that that is one of the main things. And if you're only focusing on the male body, everyone else's care is going to suffer. So we've been raising awareness about this issue through the stories we tell on our website, these really harrowing personal narratives, using those stories in our workshops. So we always bring in these patient voices to really bring it home to that these are real people suffering from these issues. Um, and then we also host a range of events. So like you touched on before, um, Physicians who have lived experience are often the best physicians. Uh, so we love having panels with people who are physicians themselves and also living with chronic illness. We've done movie screenings on really in-depth issues. Um, we've talked about health equity through uh, everything from feminist health comedy nights to traditional conferences to trivia. Um, and it's been a great way to do that educational outreach um, and really engage with the community because often these biases and inequities are so invisibilized that you don't see them until something is brought to your attention. Uh, for example, with the COVID vaccine, I'm still learning. I had no idea that uh, the vaccine was reported that there are more side effects women are reporting. And then it came out, well, the dose is based on that 70 kilo man. Uh, women produce twice as many antibodies than men who knew, uh, and a slew of other factors of why this might be the case that really get invisibilized until there's attention being brought to these issues. So I think that there's always learning to be done and also looking into present examples like COVID, but also historically, we know that historically systems uh, have a long history of abusing black, indigenous and racialized women and that these spaces are not created for them. So I think it takes a lot of work um, to dis dismantle these structures and disrupt who is seen as the ideal or standard or normal patient. And we've been able to do that by, you know, engaging these people that have been left out of the conversation and really centering their voices. Oh, that's fantastic. And so, so needed for that to happen, to really make the patient feel like they're not alone in this situation. And also, teach them how to advocate for themselves because that could be the scariest part at some times, just knowing what to say to these doctors when they're in this, it feels like a hot seat sometimes, you know, you're in this hot seat trying to talk to a doctor and tell them what's wrong with you, but it's so intimidating at times. Mm -hmm. What do you find that most, um, the workshops that you guys do for Medical Her Story, what do you find has been the most uh, attended? What are people most interested when they come to workshops uh, about? Definitely. So, so far, our gender bias in medicine workshop has been the most widespread. Um, and that's the one that we integrate into medical education classrooms. Um, our other two workshops are more in the preliminary phase. We're actually presenting our patient advocacy workshop next week that we're very excited for. Um, and that has had a significant turnout as well, but definitely our gender bias in medicine that got the attention of UN women. We actually got to be featured um, on their website in Sweden and talk about the work that we were doing. We had members attend. Um, that's the workshop where we have not only medical students, but seasoned medical professionals come out because they're interested and we get to hear how they're so grateful to have this conversation. And it's interesting, often when we go into these spaces and we say that we're going to talk about gender bias in medicine, they assume that it's towards female physicians. And that's something that, of course, is a very large issue and that we do address in our workshop um, 
more on a surface level, but it is interesting that once you say, no, we're talking about how you can perpetuate gender bias. It's sort of this interesting interaction of really being eye-opening. And we've been really surprised that physicians are so receptive to it um, and aware of these gaps and feel like they are going to be better physicians because of it. And every time we get to hear that, every time we get to hear that someone's learned something from these workshops, it is so empowering and being able to see that change happen um, and seeing those physicians recap my own story that they've read and sharing their own anger and frustration that I had to go through this before they even know that it's my own story is so rewarding for me because often physicians will make comments offhand that they will never think about again. For example, some people get colds, some people get chronic yeast infections. My physician was probably trying to be funny. They probably thought it was lighthearted. They may have even thought it would make me feel better, but they didn't realize how it was seeped in gender bias in sexism in belittlement and all of these larger assumptions. And being able to watch physicians read what can happen when you make an offhand comment like that or where um, you make a referral without fact checking and can identify that, that they don't want to be that physician is so empowering and see them already start to form, you know, their own advocacy and how they're going to improve the patient encounter is so rewarding. Um, and I think really eye opening. And I'm really fortunate that that has been our most booked workshop to date. Um, and we're really fortunate to be able to go into those spaces as well. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's Fantastic. I'm so happy that people are really open to that and learning because, you know, people get stuck in their ways sometimes and they think that I don't want to go to this open workshop because I know everything, you know, like I'm a doctor. I've already been through all of these, but I'd love to hear that people are willing to learn and willing to open up to different experiences outside of what they go through every day, because that can really affect how they treat patients. And I, I love to hear that they're looking for other options. Why, so are, is Medical Her Story mostly based in the UK and overseas, or is it, I know it's international, but is there things in the US as well that you're working with? Definitely. So we're actually rooted in Montreal, Canada. Um, that's okay. where I'm born and raised, but because I go to school in the UK, it's become really international. Um, definitely we have strong bases in the US as well, as well as in Sweden, um, in Australia, in Japan. So it's been really awesome that there are local initiatives happening. And right now we've been functioning primarily online for the past two years, but we're hoping this fall to actually have local chapters so people will be able to meet up and socialize more uh, in a post-COVID context. Um, but definitely we are doing work all around the globe, which just shows one, unfortunately, how pervasive this issue is and common it is that it is speaking to so many individuals from different healthcare systems, from different backgrounds. Um, but then also how many people are wanting to get involved and ready for a change has been amazing to witness how many people are um, empowering themselves through this work. So definitely doing work um, in the US and elsewhere. And there's lots of opportunities to get involved. That's so exciting. And is Medical Her Story only open to those who identify as women? Nope. So uh, we always say that a medical her story is a feminist way of storytelling. So as the same way that no one would say feminism is just for cis women, um, 
a medical her story is not either. So we have people of all genders um, on our team and we find that that's always so rewarding. And really in the stories we tell in our work, we try to be as gender inclusive as possible while also reminding people that gender biases, while they do affect everyone, disproportionately affect women and gender diverse people. Um, and we're really grateful to have such a, a fantastic team. Wow, that's so great. And then how, how would you go about getting involved in Medical Her Story? Yeah, there's so many different ways. If you have a story to share, we would love to help you publish it. We have an amazing team of trauma-informed editors who have all written their own stories and can guide you through the process. If you'd like to book or attend one of our workshops, you can find us at Medical Her Story to learn more. We love to come and give these workshops um, to patient advocacy groups, to medical schools, to writing clubs, um, or you know anything else you have in mind, we would love to accommodate. We also host a slew of different events. Uh, we'll have our Feminist Health Research Conference coming up in a few months. Um, and we also have uh, trauma-informed yoga coming up in a few weeks, and we're doing a panel on Indigenous um, health. So there's always different ways to get involved and all of our past events are also on our YouTube channel, Medical Her Story. Um, in addition to that, you can find us at, on social media. Uh, we have a great Instagram page with a lot of educational content and also some really great memes. We're also on TikTok, um, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we're there. Um, so you can check us out, follow us, educate yourself. And if you would like to join our team, donate or learn more, you can also check out our website, medicalherstory.com. Wow, you are all over the place. I'm so excited to get involved and have other people get involved and learn more about Medical Her Story. I think that it's so amazing how much you've grown in the amount of time that you guys have been around and I love to hear it. So thank you so much, Tori. I really appreciate you coming on. Of course, thank you so much for holding this space. It's really appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And that is it. I can't believe that story. And I can't believe that chronic yeast infections are so common in women. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. And I'm so glad that Tori took her experience with that and turned it into medical her story to come out against people that are discriminating against women as patients. And I'm so glad that there's something like that in this world for people to advocate for. I mean, I wish that the circumstances were different and we didn't have to even do that, but that there's people all together working to get to a place where that is a reality. I love that. If you want to get hooked up with Medical Her Story, log on. There'll be links in the show notes and keep involved. Stay sick. And thank you so much for listening into this episode of So Positive.